I've had the privilege of serving in a number of churches, and because of that, I've had a privilege of meeting a lot of different people. And I was reflecting this week on a gentleman who, uh, in a previous church, came up to me, caught me maybe 15 or 20 minutes before the service started, and he had a simple question he wanted to ask me. And the question was this, if I join your church, what is expected of me? If I've joined your church, what's expected of me? Now, I'm not sure whether it was because I was in Sunday morning mode, and some of you may have caught me before a service, you kind of know what that is. My mind is already racing ahead to the service, racing ahead to the message. I've been kind of, uh, you know, I go to bed, it's the last thing I, I see before I go to sleep at night as I look at the message in the morning. After my devotional, it's the first thing I see. I'm thinking about it. It's kind of going. And so, so I'm already kind of in that Sunday morning mode. So sometimes I don't think as clearly or respond as clearly as I might otherwise do. But he came up and he asked me the question, if I join your church, what's expected of me? And as best as I can recall, I answered something like this. Um, uh, um, listen, that's a great question. Can I get back to you on that? And that afternoon, I I remember going home and and thinking about that question and my inability to immediately answer that question. The man had a simple question. What are the expectations for a member in this church? And, and, and again, we might all define that a little differently. You know, you have to show up on a fairly regular basis, put something in the offering basket when it's passed around, you know, serve on a committee or a team if you, you get asked. Uh, but to be honest, I don't think the reason I didn't answer the question was because I was in Sunday morning mode. I honestly don't think I had a good answer for him. Through the years, I've, I've wrestled with that question. As, as you might have guessed simply by the name of the church, we're kind of big on grace around here. We're saved by grace, and we live in and by that same grace. In other words, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by checking off a list of these are the things that I've done, and this makes me a good Christian. This makes God happy with me. And so, and and of course, I've also seen a number of people who have been in churches that are a little more legalistic or or even Pharisaic, and that is they had a list of rules, uh, you know, about the length of a dress or the length of your hair or, you know, whether you could have a beard or not, or, you know, they had all these kinds of rules and things like that, and and people saw that, and a lot of people were were kind of repelled from the church by that list, and and, and when when you love grace, and you don't like legalism, it's easy then not to set a set of expectations. But there's a danger when the church doesn't have a clear set of expectations of its members. There's a danger there. And so I've been, I wrestled around with that. Now let's fast forward. Early in the life of Grace Fellowship, a group of church leaders went to a conference at Savannah Christian Church in Savannah. That church was and is blowing the doors off, reaching people for Christ, growing, expanding, doing doing a lot for the kingdom. Okay, we went there for this conference. And in the conference, 
uh, the pastor, Cam Huxford, a friend of mine when I was down in Savannah, Cam came out and he said, he stated very clearly what his expectations for his church members were. And, and it, it was very simple, very clear. He said, I want them to worship an hour, study an hour, and serve an hour. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I want them to, to be involved in worship regularly. I want them to be involved in a small group where they can study God's word together regularly. And I want them to serve the body of Christ on a regular basis. In other words, give, us, give your church three hours a week is basically what he was saying. Now, when I heard that, something in me said, wow, that is simple. It is clear. It is straightforward. There's, there's no hemming and hawing around it. Worship an hour, study an hour, serve an hour. It's something that any of us could memorize and repeat. Part of me said, that's simple. Wow, let's just take that and bring it over and answer my question. But another part of me, that part of me that, that, that loves grace and, and, and stays away from legalism said, man, that sounds awful a lot like a checklist. That this is, this is what we... We want of our members. This makes you a good Christian. And then a third part of me said, there's still something missing. Because all that is inside. There's nothing outside. And everyone who started this church had a real heart to reach outside the walls with the good news of Jesus and to to touch lives in his name. Fast forward again. When my children were in high school, they, um, they got their mother's intelligence, uh, not mine. They were smart kids, okay? Uh, I don't take any credit for that at all. Uh, they were pretty smart kids. They got good grades. And uh, because of where they were in school, they had an opportunity to be nominated uh, as a Rotary Student of the Month, Rotary Club Student of the Month. Some of you familiar with Rotary Clubs, civic organization in our community and around the, really around the, uh, the nation and world. Okay, so they got a chance to go to these rotary luncheons, and because they were our kids, we got a chance to go with them and sit there and, and get to eat and go through their program and, and get to uh, see all the kids who were introduced and, and all that good stuff. But here's what we noticed, or I noticed anyway. Every time, without fail, there was someone at that rotary club meeting who was from out of town. And they were either in this area on business or something family-related or on vacation. But here's what happens. They found a rotary meeting and attended it. They're from out of town, and they went and they found a rotary meeting, and they went. Now, why? Because there's an expectation in the rotary club that you show up, even if you're away from home, that you show up. And in fact, if, if, you, if you don't show up, that, they'll fine you. As a matter of fact, if you show up not wearing your little rotary pin, they'll fine you. There's a, a set of expectations that the Rotary Club has. When they do community projects, there's an expectation that their members are going to participate. When they have a, 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 a work group or a, a committee or something they're forming, there's an expectation that people are going to step up and fill those roles. In other words, with every civic organization, there's a level of expectations 
that are just normal. Now, here was a civic group that, quite frankly, had a higher level of expectations for their members than the Church of Jesus Christ has for their members. Let that soak in. Now, I'm not slamming a Rotary Club. They do good work, okay? They serve in this community. I am all for a Rotary Club, Lions Club, whatever kind of club, whatever kind of you know, sororities, whatever you're in that does civic work, hey, I'm all for it. We need all the help we can get. But why do those organizations expect more of their members than churches expect from their members? If church membership means anything, then it must mean something. Does that sound confusing? Let me explain that. If church membership is to mean anything, then it must mean something. In other words, for church membership to have meaning, then it must have meaning to each of its members. In other words, for me, for you, for you, for you, church membership needs to have some level of meaning. And in order for it to be effective, that meaning must be shared among the members. In other words, we should share that meaning. So it must mean something to me individually, but it must also mean something to us collectively. And so in wrestling with that, in trying to to deal with this question, what if someone were to walk up to me today and say, I'm interested in joining your church. If I join your church, what's expected of me? And I think I could give them an answer. Now, in my basket of answers, one answer I could give them is, hey, listen, come to Beginning with Grace. Come to our membership or our discovery class so you can figure out what this church is all about. We want to invite you to do that. If you have not been to Beginning with Grace, that is a great place to come. That is a super answer for me to give because there, in a much more detailed fashion, we can walk through what membership means. And so if you're already, if you've come forward and and, and said, hey, I want to join the church, but you have not connected through beginning with grace, you you need to do that. If you are interested in membership, you want to come, check that out. Figure out what membership means. But you know what? That would be an awfully unsatisfying answer to someone who came up and asked me that question. Hey, show up at our membership class. We'll tell you then. It's a secret until then. And so maybe what I should say is instead, hey, listen, if you want to join Grace Fellowship, we expect that you'll follow Jesus. You know what? That's true. We really want people to follow Jesus. But when you give them that answer it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more. Well, what does that mean exactly? And and so maybe I could get a little more specific and pull the answer out of my basket and say, hey, listen, here's our expectation. We want you to love God and love other people. And you know what? That's biblical, right? That's a little more specific. It kind of, it drills down a little bit into this following Jesus thing that we want you to love God and love people. Okay, I can understand a little bit more But really, that's not very definitive. 
And so maybe what I could do is take them out into the gathering space and point up at our sign that says, Believe, Belong, Become, and explain to them that we want people to believe in Jesus and to grow in their belief, belong to a grace group where they can be connected with other believers, and to become more like Jesus daily and attitude and action. You know what? Now we're beginning to refine the answer a little bit more, and that'd be a great answer. As a matter of fact, someone asks you that question, that, feel free to give them that answer because we agree as a church that that's what we're about. That's our, that's our vision. That's what we want for people. But I think that the guy who asked me that question, knowing who he was, he's a very nuts and bolts kind of person. And he wanted a very nuts and bolts kind of answer. He didn't want the mission statement. He didn't want a vision statement. He wanted something concrete. In other words, what he was asking is, listen, if I join your church, I want to be a faithful member. What does that in a nuts and bolts way look like? In other words, pastor, what do you expect of me? Because that's what he was asking. For me to be faithful, mission statement, vision statement, it's all great stuff, great commission, really cool, great commandment, great. But literally, nuts and bolts, what would the answer be? And and, and so I think this is how I'd answer the question. For you to be healthy, a healthy growing member of a healthy growing church, I expect you to worship God with your church family weekly to connect with your church family in a small group weekly to serve in your community on a regular basis and to serve in your to serve your church family weekly to worship to connect to serve outside the walls to serve inside the walls now what are you saying Jimmy are you saying these are the things that that I have to do in order to be saved No. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, okay? Are you saying then that in order to be a a, a member in good standing, in order to have my name on the roll, in order to be considered a good Christian, that this is what I must do? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is if you want to get the most out of following Jesus, and you want to give the most to your church family. It's vital that you worship together. It's vital that you connect with a small group of believers. It's vital that you serve outside the walls making a difference for Jesus Christ. And it's vital that you serve one another inside the walls of the church. What I'm saying is... In order to get the most out of your experience as a believer, as a member, these would be really, really good things to do. I tell people all the time, hey, if you want to get hit by an 18-wheeler, you need to go stand out in the interstate. Now, I'm not recommending that, okay? I'm not recommending that. All I'm saying is... Uh, you're not, probably not going to get hit by an 18-wheeler sitting in here. That's possible because sometimes they go running through the parking lot. But odds are pretty good that you're safe from an 18-wheeler in here. 
But out there, standing in the middle of the interstate, nah, you're not safe in one of those things. Okay? In other words, you need to put yourself in a place in order to get the result that you want. What's the result you want? I want to be a faithful member of my church. If you're going to want that, then you have to put yourself in a place to make that happen. That's what the guy was asking. And that's the answer I give him. Now, today, of course, we're, we're in the middle of this I Choose series, and, and I'd love to focus on all four of those aspects. Last week, we actually did look at serving our community. Today, though, I want to I dial it back. I want bring it, to bring it in the house. And look at serving one another, serving in our church family. And, and I need to say up front, some of you do this extraordinarily faithfully. Some of you are here early. Some of you stay late. Some of you serve behind the scenes. Some of you served in an upfront kind of position. Some of you serve by leading. Some serve by singing. Some serve by teaching. Some serve by, by cleaning. Some serve by rocking babies and, and wiping noses. Some serve by pulling weeds and planting flowers. Some serve by changing light bulbs or answering telephones. Some serve by sweeping up crumbs and opening doors and collecting offerings and, and pushing buttons on a soundboard or, or, or punching keys on a, a keyboard. Some pull trash cans to the road and back. Okay, here's what I want to tell you. It's all important. It all matters. Every bit of it. The things that you think are least significant, it all matters. And when we serve, we have an example. And our example is Jesus. The example of what it means to serve is Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Understand why I came. My ultimate act of service is to lay down my life and to die for your sins, okay? That's my ultimate act of service. To give myself fully and freely for you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But I'm giving it to you. That was Jesus' ultimate act of service, but it wasn't his only act of service. And I'd like us this morning to spend a few minutes taking a look at one of those acts of service of Jesus. It's found in John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. John chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and then skip over to 12 to 17, not because those verses aren't important, uh, but because I want us to get to the core of what's being said. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and then picking up with verse 12 and going through 17. Looks like we may be having a little trouble with the screen, so just uh, you can follow along. It may actually even be, if you don't have your Bibles, it may be printed in your sermon notes. And so we'll give you another avenue to be able to follow along with that and underline something if you would like to. And this is what it says. It was just before Passover, the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, or his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Skipping down to verse 12. And when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now let me paint the picture for you. It is not what you see in Da Vinci's Last Supper. That is not the way that in that time they ate dinner, okay? Uh, They would have had a table prepared. They would all be around it, but they would actually be reclining at the table, not backwards, but forwards. They would either be on both elbows or typically on one elbow, kind of laying on the side, feet away from the table, okay? Feet away from the table, but kind of reclining and eating right-handed or left-handed. You know, after a while, you may have to change because... If you lay on your shoulder for a while, it goes numb. But that's how they would eat, okay? And so they had this this Passover meal, and they were gathering in order to to eat this Passover meal together. Now, they'd been walking to get there on these dusty roads. And these roads were the same animals that, uh, same roads that animals traveled on. Now, if you've ever lived on a farm, I don't have to give you any further explanation. It wasn't just dust on the road. Okay, and here they are, they're walking through this all, you know, and and they come, they've got their sandals on, they come, they take them off, they go in to have their evening meal. Now, typically, there will be a servant there who would take the responsibility as they come in to get a towel and a basin to go and to wash their feet and maybe even put some type of perfume on it to help. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes feet stink. Okay? All right, they're getting ready to have dinner. Now, I'm just going to ask you, because some of you have like a big meal planned. Some of you have maybe get together for, you know, we're not too far from Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, family gatherings. This afternoon, we're getting ready to go to a birthday party. You know, if we all come in and we just took our shoes off and came in and said, hey, cake and ice cream time, that may not be the most pleasant thing to happen. Okay, so in this time, it was very necessary for somebody to wash those dirty, stinking feet. But they come in. They start the meal. There's no servant there. They're probably looking around. Where's the, where's the foot washing person? Nowhere around. And then you've got to be starting to think. Somebody needs to wash his feet. And it ain't going to be me. I'm thinking... Oh, maybe that old tax collector over there, he ought to do it. Yeah, he probably deserves that. Peter, he's always the first to volunteer for everything. What's up with Peter? Why didn't he get up there and do it? And they're looking around, well, who's going to wash these feet? And they're eating. They're enjoying the meal. 
It's a little aromatic in there. No air conditioning. But they're eating their meal, kind of ignoring the smell. And all of a sudden, Jesus does something absolutely unheard of. He gets up, takes off his outer robe, gets the towel and the basin, and he himself goes and he washes, beginning with Peter, washes all the disciples' feet. Including the man who would betray him, the man who would deny him three times, and the other ten who would run away. But that's not the most startling point part of this. I don't know if you saw this. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Okay, that's the, the launching pad for, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash his disciples' feet. He knew that he had all authority, all power. Jesus wasn't under this impression that, you know, maybe I'm not God in the flesh. Maybe I'm not the Messiah. Maybe, maybe that's somebody else. Maybe, maybe after all, all I am is a foot-washing servant. No, he knew full well who he was. He knew exactly who he was. There was no mistaking who he was or what was about to happen. But knowing full well who he was, he didn't say, you know what, foot washing is a little bit beneath me, don't you think? Somebody else ought to do that. Andrew, get up and wash these people's feet. No. Knowing who he was, he got up took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, got the basin, went over and started washing those feet. And he calls us to serve in the same way. The New Testament continues to emphasize and reemphasize this aspect of service. We're certainly called to serve those outside the walls of the church, but you need to understand something. Inside your New Testament, there are 59 one another verses. 59 times that Jesus or one of the New Testament writers says, this is how you relate to one another. In other words, what happens in the life of the church is vitally important to God. How we respond to one another, treat one another, serve one another is vitally important to God. And we don't have time to look at all 59 of those verses. So let me just give you a few of those verses. Verse John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you, you know what this is, right? What? Love one another. Okay, Jesus gets the ball rolling for us. You want people to know you belong to me? Love one another. He's talking about in the family of faith, love one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7, 
There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, we're in this together. In Galatians 5, verse 13... You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly and in love. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In Romans chapter 12, verses three to eight, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member, listen, each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So let me boil this down. Here's what what I get out of this when it comes to how we as the body are to respond to one another. And this is it. You are called to serve. You are called to serve. You cannot read the New Testament without hearing a call to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Secondly, you are gifted to serve. I don't want to hear it. I can't do anything. You are gifted to serve. If you got a problem with that, take it up with God. Because he has gifted you to serve. We will try to help you discover what that gift is if you're absolutely clueless, but you are gifted to serve. And thirdly, you were created to serve. You're put in this body of Christ as unique creation. You are created to serve. So you're called to serve. You're gifted to serve. You're created to serve. There shouldn't be a whole lot of excuse for not serving. And so let me ask you, are you serving? Some of you will say, yes, I am. But if not, why not? Now, I'm constantly amazed by the number of people who step up and they will wear multiple hats in order to serve the body of Christ. They invest a lot of sweat equity in order to serve the body of Christ. And far too often they do it with very little recognition And with even less appreciation. For those of you who do this. And who have done this. I want to tell you something. You are awesome. 
you are my heroes. You are the people I look to and know they can be counted on. They're not going to shrug their shoulders and walk away. They're going to step in and shoulder the load. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. But what we need, of course, is for everyone to step up. I still remember, maybe, maybe you remember this, back, back in school, and they'd have to, it didn't matter whether it was for uh, kickball or baseball or it, it didn't matter what it was. It'd come a time where you'd pick their two captains and then they'd start picking their team and you'd always have people go, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. That should be the problem we have in the church. Everybody going, hey, hey, there's something to do, pick me. Take me, 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 look, look, look. Hey, here I am, pick me, pick me. That should be the problem we have in the church. Rather than going, I, sh- I need glad in here for my cricket effects. Okay? That everyone should say, listen, this is, this is yes, it's Jesus' church. Yes, it's our church, but come on, it's my church. I'm a stakeholder in this. I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this body of Christ. And I'm tired of being a wart on the little right toe. That's not what God called me to be. God didn't call me to be an ingrown hair on the back of the neck of the body of Christ. God called me to something higher. God called me to something better. And all of us need to say, hey, listen, this is my church, and I will. Fill in the blank, I will. Now, if you're a guest at Grace Fellowship, we're not asking you to do any of this. In fact, we want you to be that. We want you to be a guest. We want you to enjoy the coffee, enjoy the brownies, the cookies, the bran muffins, whatever's out on the table. Enjoy the music. Enjoy being greeted. Enjoy the, the smiles and the hugs and the, and the handshakes. Enjoy all that because you're our guest. But if you're a member, you're on the other side of that equation. And I want to ask that when you come, don't come looking to be served. Come with your eyes open for opportunities to serve. Have your eyes open to that person who's standing over in the corner during the gathering time and no one else is around them. And walk over. If you come in and you go, hmm, whoever was here today that was supposed to be holding the door open is not here today. How dare they? Well, you know what? Maybe how dare they? But if someone needs a door held open... It ain't going to kill you to hold it open. I cannot tell you as I walk out of here on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is. And I'm from walking from one end of the gathering space to the other. How many little pieces of plastic peppermint paper or plastic, not paper, wrappers that I or glad or somebody bends over to pick up? I don't mind. It's there. It needs to be done. 
But how many other feet have walked past that to get from point A to point B? I'm not saying you have to be an expert, a rocket scientist to serve. So, so pastor, you saying you just want warm bodies? No. But we would like to have warm bodies with servant hearts and willing spirits. People who say there's a gap and I'll fill it. You know what? I'm not even an expert at that, but I can do that. There's a need. I can fill it. There's a ministry. I can fill it. Why? Because I belong to this body. This is my church. And I have a responsibility. I I have a calling. No, I mean, mean, none of us would say, you know what, the children at Grace Fellowship are not my responsibility. None of us would say, the teenagers at Grace Fellowship are not my responsibility. None of us would say, the young adults at Grace Fellowship, they're not my responsibility. The senior adults at Grace Fellowship, they're not my responsibility. The married couples at Grace Fellowship, they're not my responsibility. The guests at Grace Fellowship, they're not my responsibility. None of us would say that. But do we live that? Do we say, you know, somebody else will take care of that. Somebody else will step into that slot. Somebody else will do that. Well, I got to tell you what. I've looked on the roster, and we don't have a somebody else listed. If it's going to get done, guess what? It's going to be one of us. Or it may not get done. Here's what I'm asking. We're not looking for perfection. But we are looking for servants who will work at it with all their heart. As if they're working for the Lord. Because to be quite honest, you are. Whatever it is you do, you're doing it for the Lord. So if you're serving, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're not serving, maybe it's time to step up. You don't just need to sit and soak. You need to let, you need to let God get a hold of that sponge and wring it out so that you can pour your life into the life of someone else. It can be work, hard work. It can be messy. It can be frustrating. It can be aggravating. It requires commitment. It means sacrifice. But most of all, it's worth it. Ask anybody who's serving. They'll tell you it's worth it. And so let me close with this one final scripture in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers.